0: Come and take a seat and I wanted to turn your attention tonight to um, scripture. Hey, thanks, team. Do a great job. Happy to give them a hand. I think that's important, isn't it? Oh, more than that. If you're going to give them a good one, give them a good one. <laughs> okay, I want to turn your attention to a passage of scripture tonight from Luke chapter 7, verses 1 to 10. And Please grab your Bible, whatever you've got, uh, your iPad, your phone, and read it. It is on the screen as well, but I want to talk about the measure of greatness tonight. And uh, this particular verse in uh, Luke 7, I want to read to you. It's about, uh, it's about this um, encounter that Jesus has with, a, with a, we don't even know his name. He's just a certain centurion. He's a soldier. He's a commander. He's kind of like one of the important guys in the Roman army. And it starts in, in this verse, in verse 1. Now it says, when he concluded all his sayings, that's Jesus, um, in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. That's Jesus went to Capernaum, a certain area. And a certain centurion who had a servant who was dear to him was sick and ready to die. And so when he heard about Jesus, he sent elders to the Jews to him, pleading with him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they begged him earnestly, saying that was, saying that, that the one for whom he should do this was deserving for this centurion, for he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. And then Jesus went with them. And when he was already not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I'm not worthy that you should enter my roof. We go on to verse 7. And therefore, I did not even think myself worthy to come to you, but say the word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turned around and said to the crowd that followed him, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And those who were sent returned to the house and found the servant well who had been sick. And that is a good ending to a good story, isn't it? The thing that amazes me, there's only a couple occasions in Scripture when Jesus ever says this particular statement about anybody. And the statement is, great faith. If you go throughout the New Testament, you don't see it often said by Jesus, just on a couple of occasions that I know, that he actually talks about great faith. And it's interesting because he says it about a man we don't even know his name. He's just a certain guy out there who's a Roman officer, who's got some command over other soldiers. He's just a certain centurion. You know, would it have been more sense if Jesus had said, we would have understand if he said he had a great faith about someone like James or John or, or Peter? We would have kind of thought, yeah, those guys have got great faith. Mind you, I suppose when Jesus was with those three disciples, they, they weren't kind of showing us great elements of faith. But you know, maybe Jesus could have said about Lazarus who, who kind of rose from the dead. Man, they, he had some element of great faith. But Jesus doesn't pick out the people we know. He just picks out a person we don't really know. And is only mentioned once here in this passage of a guy who we don't know a real lot about, and he says he has great faith. And so I want to ask the question tonight, why does he have great faith? What what is the definition of great faith and and what it's all... What's the measure? What's the measure of of greatness? Because the interesting thing about the word... uh, uh, great here is it's an original the original greek word is a word called megas, and 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 that was the greek word for it and uh, megas also can mean another word that we talk about in the english language called mega which means vast or big okay and so in many ways you could you could talk about this centurion had mega faith but the word faith here means something a little different than maybe we think because the word faith means moral conviction and also means reliance upon Christ for salvation or help. And that's exactly what the centurion was looking for. Um, it describes the centurion. He had a moral conviction to help even his slave, and he had a need for Jesus to help him. And so that's what faith. And Jesus said, Great faith. And the truth is, it was more than just his ability. Um, to believe for a miracle. It was more than just this man's faith to believe for a miracle. This great faith was very much founded on the centurion's moral conviction and his willingness to recognize that he needed beyond something beyond his ability. Because often we think faith is associated with incredible miracles or incredible signs and wonders, and it is. But also faith here, we see clearly, is about the way we live life. And the standard we set and the things we do, and, and, and because this centurion just didn't turn up one day and uh, was all of a sudden instantly great just because Jesus said he was great. Have you ever thought about that? The truth is he had a lifetime of learning of the right values, the right standards, the right attitudes and how to live life and do life well and, and it, it was something that was obviously developing in his life and it's, it's not just that Jesus all of a sudden identified him and recognized him and said man of great faith that all of a sudden he was a man of great faith. No, he had it long before Jesus ever turned up on the scene and actually declared it, recognized it and proclaimed it and so often I think for all of us we associate greatness with sometimes celebrities. We associate greatness with great leaders, uh, great sporting identities, um, those who are the best in their field. We associate greatness with people sometimes on the front page of glossy magazines... And think, oh, if you get on the front page of the newspaper or some magazine, uh, you must be, have done something incredibly great. And that's not always the case these times, these days, is it? But we kind of associate uh, in the public eye, it's greatness as that's what greatness is. But I want to tell you, this centurion was great ever be- even before Jesus ever saw or, or, or met him. He was great. And there have been millions of people that have lived and died... And we've never met them, and they were great. And, but they never looked for recognition. They're never on the front pages of the newspaper or glossy magazines, uh, and yet they, were, they would be great. Uh, maybe one day we will meet them. And it's the same with us. Greatness is not a public opinion that says you're great, uh, it's an attitude of the heart in the person that makes a person great. Would you agree? Uh, it's not the person, as I said, that uh, has some incredible story written about them in some magazine. It's, 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 it's very much about a person. It's not a title or a status. It's an action and an attitude. Let's put it that way. Greatness and greatness of faith is not a, st- a title. It's not a status symbol. It's an action and an attitude. And that's what we see in this particular man, this centurion. You know, I could say tonight that I think great faith and greatness... Let me give you a list of what I was thinking about. I think it's great that a mum and dad raise a children who is balanced and copes well with life and it goes goes on to raise raise children themselves and do the same. I think that's greatness. I think it's greatness when a couple do 50 years of marriage and come out the other end of 50 years of marriage and still love each other. I think that's great. I think it's great uh, for a young person who finishes their goals of schooling, whatever grade that may be, and they're not the best, but they've been doing their best. I think it's great when an employee employee resists temptation to do what other workers are doing and steal from their employer. I think that's great. You see, I think it's great when for a young person who can't run fast but competes and doesn't win but goes on to finish anyway. I think it's great when a person shows up and is committed when no one else is. I think it's great when a person who waits patiently for what is right and doesn't try to run ahead of God, God's best for them. I think it's great faith that a person who sees their own faults is willing to change instead of blaming everybody else. I think that's great. See, greatness is waiting patiently, loving dearly, speaking truthfully and acting righteously. Faith, has it got everything to do with believing for miracles? Definitely. Miracles and signs of... Man, I want that. But also I think great faith has got something to do incredibly with the qualities of character that we live in the way we live our life. Because this centurion displays those qualities and Jesus says he has great faith. And there's a couple of reasons why he had great faith and I want to explore them tonight. What made Jesus call this man great? It is faith. And better still, a better question, what does greatness look like for you and me? great f- faith look like for you and me let's talk about that tonight i want to just say first of all i think greatness of faith is revealed in the ungreat moments of life the ungreat moments of life if we look at this century in in uh, luke chapter 7 verse 2 and 3 let me just this is the passage that we've already read but i've just put it compacted it in the two, couple of verses It says, a certain centurion servant who was dear to him was sick and ready to die. And when he had heard about Jesus, he sent elders of the Jews to him, pleading with Jesus to come and heal his servant. You see, this centurion was not having a good day. His very dear servant, who he loved, which was out of the box already because Romans and Jews uh, very uh, clearly hated each other. And if you lived in that time of Roman and Jewish, the Roman Empire, uh, Jews were uh, massacred in thousands. And yet here we see a a centurion, uh, um, you know, loving a Jew and wanting to see him totally whole and healthy and embracing this, um, obviously, his servant and his slave. And it was was something that went against the culture of the day. And so, but this, um, the truth is that this centurion, wasn't having a great moment because the very servant he loved now is facing not just sickness but imminent death because that's what it says in scripture it says he was ready to die who would agree that there's things in life that happen to you that jolt you into reality sometimes and sickness and death certainly do that don't they they certainly do that uh, health scare, a loss of life, a serious accident We all of a sudden we go, wow what's really important in life. And some of the things that were so materialistic in life sometimes, really when those things happen, we find out that they're not that important. And what really is important are the qualities of life and the attitudes of life and how we deal with life. And so for this century, and this this wasn't a great moment in his life. His, and, and if you think about the reality of it, um, a person just does it all of a sudden you know, usually just end up on their deathbed. I know that can happen quickly sometimes, but it must have been at least days or weeks or even months that this servant had not been well. And maybe this centurion had called upon doctor after doctor after doctor to heal the servant. I'm just, I'm just expanding the text a bit. It's not necessarily the case. But possibly he had, and no, nobody had healed this servant, and now the centurion is desperate. He's heard about Jesus. He loves the Jewish people. He's built the synagogues for them. He's 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 you know been a part of their lives. He's a Roman and yet he loves Jews. And now his servant's sick and so he he's about this Jewish man called Jesus and he says, "I heal that he can heal the sick. He's my last, he's my last desperate chance to see my servant well." He's ready to die, but I'm believing Jesus possibly can heal him. So I think it was a bad day. It was a bad Bad moment in his life, if you had a person who you loved and they, and they weren't healthy and well and they were intimate, I mean, um, death was I- intimate, you know, you would, you would certainly say that wouldn't be a good time. But we see the response to this centurion in the midst of this difficult time, this ungreat moment. He didn't feel great, he didn't ex- ex- exuberate greatness. He, 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 but, but in all of this, there was the struggles of what he was facing. And, um, you know, it was a precious situation. And the question is, how do we cope with the ungrate moments of life? Um, There's some advice in the Bible from James, chapter uh, 1, verse 2 and 4. It says, brothers and sisters, it says, Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces what? Patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Is it true that problems will either defeat you or they'll develop you? Isn't that true? We go through problems and struggles. And and because the truth is, life is a series of ungreat moments that are opportunities ungrate moments that are opportunities usually I- in every day there's sometimes an ungreat moment it mightn't be major it mightn't be massive it might be just something very small but right there is an opportunity either it wants to take you down or it's going to take you up depending on the attitude we have and that really does determine whether we have an element in us that says greatness or ungreatness if we we can resist Sorry, we can resent our ungreat moments sometimes, and we can react foolishly, and we don't see it as an opportunity, and that moment passes us by, and we miss the opportunity in the midst of the problem and the struggle we face. The centurion was not having a a great moment, even though Jesus said he had great faith. His his servant's going to die, but in the midst of that, the things he speaks of and the way he approaches Jesus and what he says, it just It depicts a great man. And you know, we go through circumstances sometimes and we feel broken in those circumstances. We sing a song tonight and it's talked about brokenness. But God uses broken circumstances, doesn't He? He takes broken soil to produce a crop. He takes broken clouds to give rain. He takes broken grain to give bread he takes broken bread to give strength every and out of brokenness i want to tell you god produces some of the most incredible qualities in our life so when life feels like it's broken there's an opportunity to grow james says and to learn and it's not just that it's just that we don't sometimes want that at the time um the lord it says in psalm 34 18 the lord is near to those who have a broken heart. I love that. So I want to tell you sometimes, greatness and great faith is revealed in the ungreat moments of life. Also, greatness, greatness is seen when others sing your praise and you don't. Uh, It says in Luke 7, 4 and 6, the same passage uh, we read, it says, and when they came to Jesus, they begged Him, this is the Jewish leaders, they begged Him earnestly saying, the one for whom you would you could should do this was deserving, for he loves our nation. He's built as a synagogue. And then Jesus went with them. And when he was already not from far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I'm not worthy that you should enter under my roof. The Jewish elders said concerning the centurion that he was worthy. But when Jesus, when the centurion sent a second lot of servants to Jesus, the very thing that He said to tell Jesus that he wasn't worthy. So what is it? Is he worthy or not worthy? Well, the truth is both. Because in the eyes of other people, the centurion was incredibly worthy of Jesus to come and heal his servant. But in his own eyes, he didn't sense that. He felt humbled to have Jesus come and heal his servant. Can you see that, you know, greatness doesn't come from blowing our own trumpet but it comes from someone else doing that in actual fact greatness never really wants the trumpet to be blown in the first place it just wants to serve it just wants to touch lives it just wants to do god's will and and this centurion wasn't about himself it was all about others and it took other people to actually to uh, to say he's a worthy candidate he's a good man jesus he loves our nation, etc., etc. And you know, um, the humility of the centurion was remarkable. He didn't consider himself worthy, but others thought he was. And, and uh, it says in Matthew 18 14, therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus said that. And Jesus nailed this one attribute that really sets people apart in their lives to be have great faith. And you know what sets people often apart? I think there is—you can have the same hundred in a hundred group group of a hundred people, you can have the same levels of faith, so to speak, and the same you know group of people, and they all seem to be the same age and all the, all attributes are the same. But you know what really really uh, differentiates between people sometimes is the whole attitude of humility. Humility. And to have a modest opinion of oneself, that's what humility. It's not weakness, it's not weakness, it's great strength to walk through a life and saying, God, be glorified in everything I do. God, be glorified in all the things that happen that are good. And Jesus says, you what, guys, in Matthew, he says, you guys want to be great? Well, become like a child, or become childlike. Have childlikeness. And it actually says, you cannot enter God's kingdom unless you become like a child. That's a big call, isn't it? So what's a child like? Well, they don't have grand thoughts about themselves. They often aren't puffed up with pride. They're often accepting of all who come their way. They're innocent, unassuming, willing to be themselves, not worry about what other people think of them. Oh man, as we grow older, sometimes we worry so much what other people think of us. Oh, have I have I got the right clothes on have i got the right hair have i you know um, am i driving the right car or whatever it may be it doesn't really matter now it's nice to wear clothes and have your hair done and you know i appreciate that i think it's all good and but in the end it can't rule your life can it and so we see this this centurion he was unassuming he felt he was he was a humble man and he demonstrated it clearly and the very fact that he didn't come to Jesus himself was he just didn't feel he was worthy to be a part of the masters, you know, to, to actually asking himself. He thought, I mean, Jesus is an incredible miracle worker and what, what right have I got? So, you know, humility will lift us up, pride will destroy us. Pride destroys our self-perception uh, we should think where we, we, we should think we not have an overinflated view of ourselves, have a healthy view of ourselves, a healthy love for ourselves, uh, a balance in that, and where we don't have to compare ourselves, uh, where we where we don't have to look down on others, we don't um, uh, we you know we don't have to think well we're better than somebody else. Does not life doesn't go well that way, does it? So the centurion. His greatness is revealed in his ungreat moment. His greatness is revealed because he's, he lets others um, uh, sing his praises, not himself. And, and lastly, I see the greatness in this man is found in him having authority over himself. Let me explain something. The centurion recognizes that Jesus had the kind of authority over disease. The centurion recognized that. He said, Jesus, you can deal with disease. And the way he recognized it is because the way you deal with disease is exactly the same way that I have authority over the soldiers under me. Because, And no wonder Jesus marveled at the faith of this centurion because there was no one in Israel had made such a bold confession of Jesus' absolute authority over sickness like this centurion did. No, maybe one other situation, but many times... People would question Jesus about his authority, even ridicule him, saying, you can't even save yourself, remember, when he was on the cross. Uh, But Jesus had incredible authority, incredible authority. And the reason we need to have authority as believers in Christ is so that we can live victorious Christian lives and overcome the personal struggles we have to face, not so we can control others, but to control ourselves. You need authority over yourself sometimes we think we need authority just to control other people no that's not what it's about authority over the enemy to live victoriously and to control yourself is incredible authority notice the centurion said i've come under authority i'm placed under authority i have i have rulers and, and generals over me and he says and and then I also have people under me who come under my authority. And I tell this soldier to do this and he does it. And I tell this soldier to go and he goes and comes and he comes. And you know what the centurion was really stating here? He was stating, uh, he was stating what he could do with his own heart. If he can look at it this way, he tells his own heart to come and it comes, to go and it goes. He had authority. He could command it what to do and he could have self-control. I tell you, that's true authority. When you could look at a temptation in the eye and say, no, I'm not going there. Don't you agree? That's what the, the, really the centurion would say. I have authority because I come under authority. You know, um, you, when we come under God's authority, we find that we have authority to rule our own spirit. I've found that people who don't want to come under any authority sometimes can really grapple with having authority to rule their own spirit. And, and, and so their life is just a series of ups and downs because they can't control what's happening. But when we come in obedience to Christ's command and say, yes, Jesus, I will obey you. I will do what your word says, not because I have to, but because I want to. And when I have, I have you in my, in my life and I have come under your authority, then I can have authority to also have a more stable life myself. So greatness is revealed. Uh, when we have rule of our own lives. When we come and stand in the, in, in the ability to come under God's authority and then have authority to keep things that we don't need in our life under control. So greatness is revealed in the ungreat moments. It's revealed when others sing our praise and not us. And greatness, greatness of faith is found in having authority over self. I... Uh, some of you might know the story of the mutiny on the Bounty. Um, the Bounty was a sailing ship. 1787, there was a guy called Captain Bly. And Captain Bly set sail around the world with a crew of about 30 men. And they, their whole mission was to find um, uh, breadfruit trees. I don't particularly know what a breadfruit tree is, but that's what they were going to find. And they sailed around the world, and they came to a beautiful place called Tahiti. Now, Tahiti is out there in the, in, the, in the Pacific and paradise. They found paradise. And they were looking particularly for bread, fruit, trees. But the sailors on that particular ship of the bounty became very friendly with the no- native women on the ta- in the Tahiti Islands. And Captain Bly finally made the call and said, we're leaving. Many of the sailors didn't want to leave because they wanted to stay there on the island. But reluctantly, they went. Reluctantly, they jumped in their boat and they all sailed off to continue their mission. Several days out from the Tahitian Islands, there was a guy called Fletcher Christian who caused the mutiny on the bounty. He took eight uh, eight sailors were with him and they took over the ship. And they put Captain Bly and 18 other sailors in a little boat and they set them off into the sea. And they took the ship back to the the islands of Tahiti. There they gathered 12 native ladies, women who wanted to go with them and they jumped on the boat again and they sailed and they came to an island called Pitcairn Island. And they took all their belongings off the boat, this beautiful, incredible paradise of this Pitcairn Island. All their belongings came off the boat and they burned the boat. Now they thought, we're going to have paradise on earth. Got 12 women, 8 men, we're going to live an incredible life. But you know, for 7 years, it was pure hell. The men were constantly drunk. They become wild, crazy, fought each other. One actually committed suicide and jumped over a cliff. So within 7 years, there were only 2 men left. All the women were still alive. And within seven years, they had 18 children as well on the island. The two men that remained were Edward Young and Alexander Smith. The women wanted nothing to do with these two men, and they isolated themselves from the men. The men became disillusioned and discouraged, and obviously were wondering, what are we going to do? We came here for paradise, and all we've had is hell. And one day, Edward Smith went to the trunk of the sh- this old trunk that they'd taken off the bounty, the ship. And in the bottom of the trunk was a leather bound Bible. And the two men grabbed that and started to read it. And as they read it, they realized that they needed to be forgiven for their sin. Their terrible way of life, they needed to repent. And a- Edward Smith, unfortunately, at that time, not many months later, died from a disease. And Alexander Young was left by himself. Disillusioned, he continued to read the Bible, and he finally realized that he needed to be born again, and thus he became a Christian. The women on the island of Pitcairn Island then realized he had changed, and they started to develop a wonderful community. Young started to share the Bible, and all of them became Christians. So 18 years later, after Mutiny on the Bounty... A ship from Boston, America, came across the Pitcairn Island and found, as they went onto the island, they didn't find savages or natives, they found an incredible community of Christian believers who loved one another, were committed to each other, and just, um, you know, were graciously, obviously, had been changed from a murderous, lustful, and hell-bent, you know, selfish purposes to gracious and loving community of believers. And what an incredible thing had happened. And i like to say one thing about that. They realized they needed to have authority over their lives. And they, needed, they realized who needed to have that authority, and that was Jesus Christ. God so changed their lives. And it's a wonderful story. It didn't start well, but I tell you, it finished so well because they realized what they needed. They didn't have it before, and that was authority, Jesus' is God's authority on their in their lives. So I want to encourage you tonight. Can we stand together? Greatness of faith is revealed in some of the most ungreat moments of our lives. When we're going through the struggles and the and the temptations and the issues of life, greatness of is found in not us um, you know, sometimes trying to be great, but just letting letting humility rule and reign and finally greatness is found when we come and submit our authority to God and then we'll have authority to live our life I wonder here tonight if I could ask you a question do you know Jesus Christ in your life have you given him authority to come into your life have you given him the, the go to come into your life and say yes to Jesus and say yep I need to put him first it says if we seek him first All these other things in life will come to pass, but we need to put him first, it says in Scripture. Tonight, I ask the question, because I think it's a good question. If we were to die tonight, would you be assured of where that you would go? Have you got such a relationship with God that you know heaven is where you're headed? But if you're not sure, you can be sure by saying yes to Jesus. So I want to ask you tonight, make it just really simple and that is if you want to say yes to Jesus for the very first time or maybe here tonight you want to say yes to Jesus again because you just need to, need to make it right with Jesus and let him come and have authority over your life and say come into my life I want you to raise your hand I'd like to just pray for you where you are I just give you a moment anybody here tonight just gonna put your hand up. I'll see that hand. You can put it back down. Say, yeah, pray for me. Pray for me. Thank you, sir. You can put it down again. I see that hand. Anybody else tonight? How about is okay, for the sake of one precious person, how about we all just pray a prayer? Is that good? Come on, make it your own. So make it this your prayer. You repeat it and we could say it out loud. Mm. Come on. Let's just all say it together. Let's repeat it. For the sake of the simplicity of it, it is repeated. Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you tonight and I thank you that you accept me. I want you in my life so I confess you, Jesus, that you died on a cross and you rose again to take my sin. I turn from my sin and I turn to you. And I thank you that you accept me. Come and have authority in my life. Help me to live in obedience to you. In Jesus' name. Thank you that you love me and you've always loved me. I'm your child. In Jesus' name. Amen. Father, I pray for our precious brother your hand would be upon his life. Father, that it just won't be something that's just a a thing that's just, oh, now I've done that. But Lord, there'd be a revelation and a touch of God upon him. Father, that he would, Father, say yes to Jesus. And not just yes tonight, but yes tomorrow and the next day and the next day and continue to walk in the ways that you would want him to walk. I commit him to you right now. Thank you, Father. Father, I commit these people to you tonight. I pray that we will be a people, Father, that would be said about us. There's great faith there. Not because we've got a title or a status symbol of it, but simply because we work, walk with our God humbly every day. Father, that we just live in that realm of just knowing you and making you known. And we commit ourselves right now to you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Let's encourage one another tonight. You have a great week, folks. And let God be God in our lives. That would be brilliant. If we're going to sing this song, that would be great. Bing. Come on.
1: Amazing grace, how sweet it is. Once was lost, but now it Was blind, but now can see the love in your eyes, Mm -hmm. Um, raising up the broken to life. me amazing grace how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me thank you lord i once was lost but now i'm found was blind but now i see I can see the head, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I can see the love in the S Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Which is yes, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Yes, Lord.
0: So let's just have a, a great week, folks, and encourage someone before you go home tonight. God is good. And all the time He's there for us. Amen. Live with great faith. Live with great faith. Amen.